Well, we're in an uh, interesting set of scripture. We kind of went out of order, mainly because we're also doing uh, family dedications today. Um, and I, I felt better to talk about divorce next week and not on family dedication day. So um, we went out of order in that. But either way, um, we will be hitting that next week. Um, this is a section of scripture that I believe has been um, kind of beat up by scholars. This is one of those set of scriptures I feel like a lot of times people will take it and try and put uh, what they want in their theology on and they miss the main point of what Jesus is actually communicating in it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to chapter 18. If you don't have your Bible, slip your hands, the ushers will pass one out. But this is a set of scripture that, that a lot of times I think there's a lot of little landmines in this where it's like, oh, this could be meaning this, but again, it's a, it's a parable. Jesus is speaking it as a parable in this section. So a parable's point is, is that it's not something that actually happened, but it's to lay an analogy or something alongside of truth to bring out a clear understanding of that truth. And so this is, a, this is Jesus speaking in a parable, but I think a lot of times because of us and our desire to pick apart, a well-meaning desire to pick apart Scripture and understand more theology, we've run into a lot of, you'll see a lot of um, secondary things that come out of this very parable that people love to divide on which I think is kind of comical because I feel like the real point of the text actually has the opposite of division and, and more of unity. And so you can see how kind of that, that attempt to try and understand more actually ends up dividing the bride of Christ, the church. And so there's a, this, is a, this is a parable that you've probably all heard uh, hundreds of times if you spent any time in the church. You've, spent, you've heard this talked about. You have an, a preconceived notion of what this talks about. Um, but maybe one of the things I need to clear up first off is that in Luke 15, there's this almost similar parable with the same title, but it's a different, different parable. It's a different story altogether. In Luke 15, it's this, this is the parable of the lost sheep, and so Jesus leaving the 99 for the one. But in the, in, the, in the Luke 15, the lost sheep are actually those that are lost followers. They do not believe in Jesus. They're unbelievers chasing after them. And there's a number of other texts in Matthew that don't line up with this. So some scholars think, well, okay, well, this was the same story, but one of the, one of the authors got it wrong. But we believe God's word is, 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 is true, and, and that these, these people spoke, in, writ, writ, wrote it inspired by God. And so we know it's not true. So, so then the other idea is that, that Jesus was using a similar idea in two different teaching settings to make a very, very specific point. And in both, I believe the point is similar other than the application plays out differently. So maybe you've heard this before talking about Jesus leaving the church or the 99 to go find that lost believer. Well, that's kind of true too because that's in Luke 15. But in this text, he's speaking specifically to believers, and I think he has little to do with actually the believer being lost, and so we're going to talk about that. So this is one of those times where I feel like our titles kind of like led us one direction, and, and it, it's, it's good, and there's truth in this, but I feel like we've kind of missed the main point. Um, see, I have, I have said this. I confessed it in first service. I have this, um, this problem when driving. Um, I, I, I'm not very patient when I drive, and I have this, this issue, and I've said this before, and I have friends here that, that are going to laugh at me because I've had this conversation with them. But I have this um, unhealthy view, say it that way, trying to make it nice, of 2C license plate drivers. I don't know why, but I just, I struggle with 2C license plate. I feel like every time someone's driving ports, like, look, 2C license plate. Like, I don't know what's going on. And it's this unhealthy view. And I, I love you, Travis. You're probably here and Christina, but you have 2C license plate. I love you. You're great. You guys drive great. But I have this unhealthy view of 2C drivers. And see, here's, here's the issue is that is that all of us have an unhealthy view to someone. And see, and, and, and the, the issue with that is that we, we, we interact and we live and we move in light of those views of someone. And maybe it's not 2C drivers for you. Maybe it's, it's race. Maybe it's gender. 
Maybe it's social class or financial settings or popularity or which school you go to. I made the joke in first service, we have so many, we work with a lot of um, wonderful campus ministries at BSU. So we have a lot of college students here, which I love, it's great. But you know, there's like different campus ministries. And I feel like sometimes it's like crews kind of against Young Life, like, well, wait, we do it right. And there's this like this battle of like, well, you go, to, you go there, well. And there's this idea that we start looking down on people because they view or they act or interact or live differently than we do. And that's not actually what God calls us to. In fact, he calls us to the very opposite. And that's what I believe this text is dealing with. It's dealing with, with the heart of the fact that, that we believe for some reason that we can look down on other believers. Whether we think we're right or smart or we know better, but either way, we posture ourselves in this unhealthy way of, of I can look down on you because of something. And it's just not the gospel. In fact, it's contrary to the gospel. In fact, it's opposite of what the gospel's purpose is. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So look at me real quickly. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. See that you do not despise. This is Jesus speaking. I guess I should give a little backup. Uh, not all of Matthew is chronological, but we believe that this is kind of a section that works together because just before this, at the very beginning of 18, um, Matthew starts talking about little ones around an argument of who is greatest. The disciples are saying, who's greatest? And so he sits down and he brings a, brings a toddler onto his lap and he says, unless you become like a child, one of these, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and the, the point of this isn't that he's saying that you need to be two years old or three years old. It's that you need to have the humility to understand that you bring absolutely nothing to the table. And so he's talking about these little ones. And then he goes on to saying, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better for you to cut your hand off or cut your foot off. Obviously, he's using um, hyperbole in that setting. But he's basically saying how big of a deal it is to cause another brother or sister to stumble. So then here he picks up on the same idea using little ones. In this text, little ones is, is, is tied as, as followers of Jesus. Little followers of Jesus is what this is. And, and it could even be used to talk about maybe little ones that are exceptionally weak. Or struggling. And so it, it's in this way. So he says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And so I want to talk about a, a couple landmines in this text where people have really tried to pull out theology. First is the idea of angels. Um, this, this text makes sense because every single person in this area, there are Pharisees and other people around, would have remembered Ezekiel 34. The idea of picturing Jesus as, or God as the good shepherd to his sheep. And so Ezekiel 34 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. That's verse 11, then down into verse 16. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the straight and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And that's out of Ezekiel. So Jesus is, is, is telling a parable that makes complete sense. It lines up with what Ezekiel, aligning God as the shepherd. And, and the sheep as his followers. And that God is, is, is ferocious. Is he, he, is, he is chasing. He is going after his sheep and doing that. So this is a, this is a parable that all of them went, okay, this, this makes sense, shepherds. But, but it, one of the landmines in this is, is this idea of angels. And, and we only see here the idea of an angel paying attention to a very individual. 
And we see it in Hebrews 1.14, and then we all see a mention of it in Acts where they think that it's Peter's angel. And so those are the only three spots in the New Testament that we see any mention of angels being involved with an individual. And I believe the one in Hebrews is more lined up to the greater church. And then this one is, is the idea of this too, where this is the angels over the little ones, meaning there's these, these angels in place. What's unique about this, and so if you're asking, like, do we have guardian angels, I don't think this text supports that. But that's one of those texts where people are like, well, I want to spend more time talking about that than really what's going on here. But what's unique about this is that in heaven, we have Isaiah 6, where Isaiah, just before he's commissioned by God to go do his, to be his prophet, where he, he sees God and he falls in his place, well, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm, I'm, I'm ruined, I'm dead, like, destroy me. And, and we have this, this scenario where the seraphim, the angels that are around him, come and touch a coal and, and, and renew him so he can do God's work as prophecy. But what's really, really unique is if you picture that, that whole setting in Isaiah 6, you'll have to go back and read it. The seraphim are, sw- are, are flying around. You know what they're doing? They're, in there, they're, they're praising God for who he is, and they're, they're saying those things, but you know what they're doing? They're, they're, they have six wings. One set of wings they're flying with. The other set is covering their feet, which we don't actually necessarily, there's, there's ideas behind it, but there's not a real concrete idea as to why. But the other set of wings are covering their face from God. So these seraphim that are in his presence are covering their face from God because, again, it's the idea to see God. So whether or not that hits with you, essentially what he's saying is that the little ones, the followers of Jesus, the babies, the, the humble ones of Jesus have angels who can see the face of God and in his presence all the time. That's one of those things where it's like, okay, hang on, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal, right? That's a pretty big deal that these angels can be in place and they are, they are essentially tending to the flock. They are, they are helping aid in the conversation or, or they're, they're working for God in caring for us in leading us and helping in that way, and they can see the face of God. So what's, what's unique about this is that they are in place to see the face of God. That's what makes what we're going to talk about so huge. A second landmine in this is that the end of the text where it talks about a sheep straying off, it says, those shall per- like, it is not God's will that any shall perish. And that word usually is just usually is defined as destroy or destruction. There are other areas in which that is a parallel Greek word that could mean more of a spiritual downgrade or a spiritual run from. Again, people have tried to write theology on this parable. It's a parable. I don't think it's meant to write, parable or write theology in place. I don't think it's meant to hard those arguments in that. But, but either way, that's one of the other landmines in this section is, wait, can, can a follower perish or not? And, and we're not going to even deal with that in this because I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. We'll deal with that. Jesus spends lots of time talking about hell and other things later on. We'll get there probably in two years. Um, but that's, that's where it is. Um, but he says, so he says in here, the very beginning, I think, is the point of this text. And this is what I want us to take away with today. This is where I feel like the parable of the lost sheep kind of hijacked the point of this text. The very beginning is, see that you do not despise one of the little ones. Or despise can be translated to look down on. See that you do not look down on another follower of Jesus. See to you that you do not show partiality. See to it that you don't actually hold yourself in a position where you can think you're better than another follower of Jesus. In fact, the lost sheep can still work if you're talking about straying, can still work for an unbeliever because that's what we see in Luke. But what he's talking about specifically is you as a follower of Jesus, how you posture yourself with another follower of Jesus. That you do not look down on them. In fact, don't look down on them because ultimately all of us have angels in the throne room of God working for us together. So it's kind of ludicrous for me to look down on a 2C driver. 
In fact, it's the opposite of the gospel. See that you do not look down. And what happens is I believe that there are a lot of us that we, we look down on people because of character-neutral things. I mean, there's, there's non-character-neutral things. So, like, if I, if, I, um, if I behave rudely, insult people, I've made wrong choices, and those choices reflect my basic selfish character. So in that situation, I'm behaving in a way that shows that I am selfish, and, and therefore you can, as another follower of Jesus, say, hey, you're, you're being rude. That's showing selfish. That's not what God calls you to. And we talked about that last week. You can judge the fruit of the Spirit of another follower. Not condemn, but you can judge. So that's something that you can say, okay, Brent is rude. He, he behaves that way. I need to help him in this situation. However, most of us um, make our, we look down on people due to character-neutral things. Attributes, the color of a man's skin, genealogy, ethnic background, geographic location, level of education or income, health, age, sex, popularity, 2C license plates, right? We, you, you, you take your pick, hair color, which, whether you go to crew or young life, whether you go to this church or this church. Like we, we use ridiculous things to look down on other people. And what Jesus is saying is he's cautioning. He's saying something that's so huge and so beautiful that if we get stuck in the landmines of theology, we miss. He's saying, be sure, do not look down on. Don't, don't do it. Don't look down on any one believer. Don't hold yourself in a, in a higher spot. That's pride. That's the opposite of what I just talked about, how you must be humble like a child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You sit in a position of pride. You're not displaying the kingdom of heaven. We see in, in the book of Acts that people were longing to be a part of the church because of the way they saw their believers treat each other. Oh, man, could you imagine what the church would look like today if that was actually true? Or people outside of the church could look at us and say, man, they have hardships, they struggle, they're messed up. Man, they're so messed up. But man, the unity and the way they treat each other, is, it's beautiful. They don't wait for someone else. They, they step into this, this fold and they, they have these conversations and they, they continue to love and serve one another instead of pushing away from the table and running and isolating. He's saying, see that you do not look down on people. The, the book of James talks about partiality, saying that it is, is an opposite, in opposition of us loving God and loving others. He says not to do it. Um, when, we, when we look down on others or we show partiality, what we're doing is we're basically making judges, we're, we're being judges with evil thoughts, is what James says. So if you think you looking at someone and saying, oh, they're dressed like that, I can't believe they wore that, isn't evil, you're wrong evil desires. That's a, it's an evil desire that makes those, des those decisions. If you look at someone and say, well, obviously they don't understand what I know, and so therefore I'm smarter and better than them, that's evil. It's an evil desire. So we're not, we're not supposed to do that because it's, it's, it's a thought that isn't taken captive and is birthed out of evil desires as opposed to the spirit that's renewed in us, one of unity, patience, and humility, and kindness. So when we, when we judge, we judge with evil thoughts. So what is it for you? Is there someone that you're looking down on right now? Have you, have you struggled with them? You feel like they don't deserve what they have? You find yourself envious of them. Maybe you find yourself prideful and you think you're better than, and you've used your position to, to hold yourself in some kind of theoretical Christian bubble that says I'm better than you, which isn't even existing. Who, who are you looking down on? Maybe it's the person on the side of the road that's holding signs says, please help, God bless. And you instantly go to the mind, well, obviously they don't, they just want to buy alcohol. And they're just using God's name. Well, you know what, they might be. But, but have you had a conversation with them to find out? 
Have you actually stepped across that line, wherever that line is in your, in your comfort zone, and said, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with you? Do you look down on children? You know, I made this joke before we have an older generation here. I say older generation, sorry, seasoned, well-manicured, awesome people that have been around longer than others, okay? And, and they, there's a conversation. It's like, oh, man, there's a, there's a lot of college students around here. You're looking down on college students. We should celebrate every single life stage. Church isn't meant to be middle-class white people in one specific age group. All nations, all tongues. So when you look down, do you look down on someone else that when they say they're in a hard spot? You know, maybe one of the ways that you look down on someone is when they actually struggle. Or that in my note, someone falls, big sin, whether they are a prominent person of everyone knowing or a person in the slums. Do you look down on them saying, oh, you struggled, so therefore I'm better than you? That's, you're doing it wrong. Maybe you make fun of physical appearance. Make fun of the way they dress or the way they look. You're judging on these things that you shouldn't be judging on at all. And Jesus is very clear. to see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Don't look down on, on even one of them. And the caution is, is so big. He's saying, look, you look down on one, it's, it's a road that leads you down to a spot where pretty soon you're going to realize that you are isolated, alone, and full of bitterness and anger, and you don't even know why. See that you do not look down on one of them. But ultimately, the reason we're not to look down on it is because it violates the law of love, the royal love, which is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. To, to sit in a spot where I'm willing to look down on another believer, I am basically saying that that law does not apply to me. That is contrary to the kingdom of God. That is contrary to his work. Look, we, we all have people and, and classes and, 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 and groups of people that we maybe gravitate towards, and that's okay. It's okay to want to, to be with like-minded people and to do those things, but, but, but we were never meant to stay there. We're supposed to take those like-minded people to, to be the, the salt and the light to this world, to, to spend time with other people. So if you're just wanting to be friends with someone because they're popular, then you've, you've made them an idol. If you, if you won't be friends with someone because they aren't popular, well, then you are selfish and full of evil thoughts. And you're showing partiality, which God has very clearly talked against. See, the... This is what this text is about. And Jesus illustrates this through the story of the sheep. And his whole point isn't to, to tell you about a lost sheep, although we'll talk about a lost sheep. But his whole point is, to, is to, make it, to, to make it very clear just how ridiculous God's love is for you. When I say you, insert your name, just how ridiculous God's love is for Brent. Like you believe like his, his love for you is, is it, it's, it's ludicrous at times on how much he just loves you. And he's trying to make that point. You're saying, look, what, 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 what would you do? What would you think? He poses this question. What do you think? Like if, if a sheep leaves, if a sheep's gone astray, they're gone out in the fold, a sheep's in danger. Sheep are very, very dumb animals, right? They need a shepherd. They need, they, they, on their own, they don't have a chance. They're going to eat and they're going to break a leg. They're going to die. They have, they have no hope of surviving on their own. And so he's saying, look, every single one of my sheep is valuable. 99 sheep, 100 sheep is a lot of sheep for a person to own in this day. That would have been a very wealthy person. 
And it's not like, it's not like the, the shepherd's going, oh, shoot, Bob's off. Where'd Bob go? I mean, the sheep kind of look the same. I don't think they name him that way, right? It's like, oh, that one's Bob. But, but, but it's this picture of God being the shepherd that is so in tune with each of his children that he knows right where you are. So in tune. The angels' faces on there, the angels are, are present. They're so in tune with you that, that he knows right where you're at. Now, if that doesn't make you feel a little bit more confident about who God is and his love for you, I don't know what will. I mean, the 99, he, out of 99, one can astray. And, uh, is he counting every 10 seconds? I mean, how's he keeping track of them? God is, is saying that he is keenly aware of every single one of his children and where they're at. He knows right where you're at. He knows your struggles. He knows the dark side of you. And he loves you immensely. So how dare I or you take a look at another person that God has that much love for and look down on them? And that's what Jesus is getting. I was like, well, why would you look down on another follower of Jesus? Yeah, okay, there's a struggle there. There's a battle. Well, good news. Right after this, I'm going to go into how you confront one another. We talked about that last week. There's a healthy way to deal with conflict. There's a healthy way to forgive people. Like, yeah, it's, gonna, it's not me. It's going to be easy. But how dare you sit in a position or a posture of holding yourself over someone that you are better than? You're not better than. Doesn't matter how many times the person next to you messes up, you're not better than. And that's what Jesus is saying with this parable. He's saying, look, I'm going to go out and I'm going to chase the one that strays, that falls. See, you and I, we, we struggle to even serve one another, even though we're called, commanded, actually, to do that over and over and over again. In fact, Jesus does one of the hardest things ever in Matthew 25. We'll probably get there in another year and a half. But Matthew 25, verse 42 through 45 says, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did, we not, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he'll answer them with the hardest words ever, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, one of the little ones, you did not do it to me. If we don't get in a spot where our thinking is removed of looking down on others, we will never, ever do to the least of these as he has called us to do. If we don't get in a spot where we stop looking at ex physical things and say, well, you're not good enough because, or I'm not going to be friends with you because, if we, just, if we just start holding ourselves higher than someone else, then we're going to be in a spot where we're going to miss the very thing that God calls us to do in part of his kingdom. In fact, it doesn't get good after that in Matthew 25. <laughs> he, he, he clearly lines up. If you want to you call him Lord, then, then let him be Lord of your life. See, when we look down on others, what we're doing is we are sitting ourselves in a spot that we are higher than God. God, I know you, but I can. God, I, I, know, I know what your word says about your, your followers. I understand your grace. It's ridiculous. I've experienced it, but you know what? It doesn't apply to that person. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and be the one that executes that. I'm going to be the one that sits as judge in that situation. And you're like, no, I'm just, I'm just thinking... Like, I just don't like the person. Yeah. But if they're brother or sister, you're called to be unified with one spirit, one baptism, one Christ, one God. How do you do that when you don't like them? 
how you interact. And so this is this moment where you got to ask the hard question. Are you looking down on someone? Are you, are you doing it in a group of people? Are you just being in a room where a bunch of people are looking down on someone else? You just sit there and kind of quietly shrug. Or are you actually engaged in reminding every single person that is a child of God that they are a child of God, redeemed by his blood through Jesus Christ, and they could not have a more beautiful and profound identity than that and that alone. All that other stuff is just hoo-ha. It's just random stuff. It doesn't matter what they look like. They're redeemed. And that's what Jesus is here to redeem. And so then he... He uses this idea of a stray, and so I want to talk about that real quickly because I do believe that this is a valuable lesson, that, that sometimes sheep can go astray. And in, in Luke, it says, led astray, or we, we see it that way. But either way, astray is to be off the, the right path, to go in the wrong direction. And my assumption is that if you're a follower of Jesus for any time longer than a month, you've experienced this astray feeling. You've experienced where your life has done something that didn't line up with God's word. And you're like, man, I... I I feel like I, I went off, I kind of I wandered. I, I wandered here in this relationship and we went way further than we should have physically. I wandered here with, with my computer and I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't be looking. I wandered here with my finance because I'm totally, like, I'm enamored by finances. I wandered here, like, you've wandered. You've felt this straying that's happened. Well, you should, you should take heart because what, is, what does God say he'll do as your shepherd? He will leave the 99 to pursue you. He will relentlessly chase after you if you're his child. And some of you, you feel that right now. You feel this astray, and you're like, but life is horrible. He's chasing after me, really, like, make my life better. Well, let me take you to Hosea 2 real quickly. See, this, Hosea, right before this, he talks about how Israel had whored themselves out. They had taken on to new loves and new idols, and they'd run from the God who created them. And then there's this turn in chapter 2, verse 14. It says, therefore, behold, God speaking to to his people. I will allure. I will entice her and bring her into the wilderness. Just in case you're wondering, wilderness is not a comfortable spot. Okay, when it's used here, it's, it's I will take her to a dry, desolate, hard spot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull her into this spot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to entice her back into this. I'm going to entice Bren back into this spot because what I'm going to do, and that's where he goes, he says, and then I'm going to speak tenderly to her. I'm going to speak tenderly to my child and say, look, you're missing it. I had, I had to get you all the way over here because you, you strayed so far. You've made these other things idols and gods, and that's not it. He says, I will speak tenderly to you, and there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, the valley of death, a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will move the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. See what he's doing is, is he's, he's taking a strayed people, a wandered people. He's taking them to a spot of dry desolate. He's giving them over to this, not to leave them there, but to do something so miraculous to create life out of death, to bring them back to a spot where they can go, oh, I've missed it this whole time. I've missed it. I've been looking at this is my hope, my money, my education, my friendships, my relationship, my marriage, my kids. This has been my hope and this whole time I've missed it. My hope isn't that. It's in God alone. And he's going to remove those idols from you in that dry, desolate place so he can speak tenderly and praise the love so you can go, I am in relationship with the Most High God. Look at the depths that God will go for his sheep. Doesn't it 
It should bring hope to all of us that he's, he's willing to go to that length to restore you. He's going to go, willing to go that length to restore that person you despise. You're not special in that. He's doing it for everyone. His desire is to do that for all his sheep. So he's going to restore them into a right relationship. So maybe you've strayed. Maybe you have a brother or sister that you, right now, you're despising because of their stray, because of their abandonment, or because of their their willingness to walk away from truth. We have a, a methodology to go about. And you know what this methodology proves about God? That he, he, that he has an individual love for us, that it's a seeking love, that it's a rejoicing love, and that it's a protecting love. That God is, is about coming after his flock and to restore them into a right spot. So how can we ever look down on someone else when he's doing that for all his sheep? Who, who are you to think that you can sit in a spot of pride to despise another? You're sitting in complete opposition of the angels, Jesus, and God in heaven. We cannot look down on one another. We cannot look down. We cannot despise one another. So if there's some kind of anger or frustration, maybe you're not like, I'm not looking down. I just don't, I just, I'm, I just don't want to be around him. Well, let, let God work on that. Because I can tell you what he's going to do is if he needs to, he's going to, he's going to lead you to that dry, desolate place to get your attention because he is ridiculously relentless for your love. Because he loved you so, so much. It's about that. And I want to talk real quickly about this is another thing that I think people can take wrong. Um, the idea that there's more celebration over the one who strayed and now is returned over the 99 who never strayed. I don't know why, but I don't know if it's just something like I hear people say this, and maybe this is my verbiage, but they're like looking for more street, ca- street cred in their testimony, you know? Well, you know, I didn't really stray much, so I think I'm going to go, you know, go, I wish I went off the deep end, like, I mean really off the deep end so that I could have this really cool testimony. That's just weird, okay? Like, like, that's, like my prayer for my girls is that they would never know a day without the Lord. That's, that's my prayer for my daughters. I don't want them to have that hard season. I want them to recognize their hopelessness where they're at right now without God and desire to fall in love with him at an early age and never, ever, ever have that wandering. So it's not that God isn't joyful about those who stay in obedience. In fact, we, we see that, that God shows his love through obedience and we show our love to him through obedience. I was camping a couple months ago and my youngest daughter, Pris- Priscilla, she's a bit of a chunk and she loves to eat. And so much so that she likes to take checks and like double fist them sometimes, right? And so I was cooking some food and Jen calls me like screaming panicking I didn't hear her and I go running over there and she, Priscilla was choking she wasn't breathing and so we, we did what we needed to do and she was breathing again praise God and I went back to cooking I just sat there and thought like and it was in that moment it was such a chaotic moment whatever where you're just kind of like I, don't, I cannot believe what happened but it was like just a, a little moment after that where all of a sudden my love for Priscilla was like if I had love here it was like here Right, and nothing changed. It's not that I didn't love Ava or Olivia, but Priscilla at that moment, like, I almost realized I had lost her. And all of a sudden, it's like you take for granted, like, oh, and there's this love that has, and I think that's the love that God's talking about. He's saying, whoa, 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 one of my, one of my sheep was, was, was in danger, was hurting. Why wouldn't we celebrate that? Why wouldn't we take joy in, rejo- in rejoicing? That doesn't mean that there's no joy in a follower that's just stayed tried and true and followed an obedient God to live by his spirit their whole life. There's not any less joy for that, but this is a moment of this 
brother, this sister was lost. They were in danger, and, I, and God has restored them. Let's celebrate. That's what he's saying. It's that moment of overwhelming, like, wow, I, I can't believe what we almost lost there. I can't, I can't believe that. And so, so when you won't celebrate a brother or sister that's fallen, that's come back, that's a your heart issue. That's a despising someone else. God has, God has called us to, to joyfully be excited about this, to not look down on anyone. And so I don't, I don't know what it is for you. I make the joke about 2C license plates, but if I'm really honest, I struggle with all kinds of individuals all the time. That's not, that's not God's kingdom. That's not his purposes for us. In fact, we have this picture of angels, Jesus, and God in place. Looking at, at this whole setting, we see this amazing outpour for every single little one. Then why wouldn't I just jump on that bandwagon? Because they did that for me too. The gospel of, um, if you have an NASB version, you have uh, a verse 11. In ESV, it's, it goes from 10 to 12 and skips that. Verse 11 talks about Jesus and that he, he is a part of this as well. It was added to later manuscripts, so that's why it's not there. But either way, I, the, the, what is added is completely true and congruent with, with the text. It's that Jesus is adamantly about restoring and redeeming these people too. Not just the angels, not just God, but Jesus as well. So we should be too. So wherever you are in your life, there's someone you're looking down on. I, I challenge you to do the rest of Matthew 18 with it. Just talking about forgiveness and approaching in a healthy way, calling out sin. But do it in a posture of humility, recognizing that God has forgiven so much of you. God has done so much for you. Why, why would we ever sit in a spot of, of pride or arrogance over someone else? Why would we posture ourselves saying that we're better than someone else? That is the opposite. And I don't know why American churches have bred this competition. We're better than, what? no. We all are as valuable as the next one. That's, that's what we see out of this parable is that Jesus and God is relentlessly, viciously, vehemently after you as an individual doing what he does best, redeeming that which is broken. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Um, thank you for not giving up on me. God, please forgive me for the areas that I have despised one of your little ones. God, I pray that we would be a people of, of action in the love that you've given us. We would be a people of, of faith in the faith you've given us and that you would perfect that, that you would sanctify us, that you would grow us in your love for your glory and your glory alone. God, for those in the room that are despising someone, that are struggling with someone else right now, God, I pray that you would, you would break down their walls. Take them, to the, take them to the wilderness if that's what needs to happen, God. Allow them to experience that breaking of the false idols so that they, you can be their first love again. And Father, for those that have felt despised, they've experienced that feeling of looking down, do not let them posture themselves in a place of pride at the person that's done it. Would you please give them the confidence to pursue that person, to humbly approach that person, to make things right so that we could be a people that, that, that others that are, are not a part of would look at and say, I want to be a part of that. 
God, forgive your bride for, for missing that at times. Forgive us for, for not celebrating what you celebrate, for not being joyful about the redemption you're doing. God, break us of our pride. Your word tells us that you give grace to the humble and you oppose the proud. God, I pray for opposition of the proud and I pray for an extra dose of grace for those that you are breaking to humility. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.